The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Let's bless the Lord. Today we're going to be speaking about what God is like. And I have the task of telling you something about God that is throughout the scriptures. It's from beginning to end. And it cuts through some of the um, misconceptions we have of who God is. It is that God is relational. God intrinsically wants to know his creation. He wants to know you. Now we take this for granted in the, in, in the UK and in the US and the West because we've had the concept that God is love for a long time. Not everyone shares this. Not everybody knows it. And I think even those of you who, today who know that God is relational can even believe more that God wants to know you intimately. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be in covenant with you. And he even speaks at the end of the scripture about marrying his church, the most intimate relationship of all. He wants to know us closely. God speaks in relational ways. God acts in relational ways. And God shows his desire for friendship. That is throughout the scripture. But what does it mean that he's relational? First of all, it means he wants to be close, personal, and have interaction with us. He does not want to be not relational. And those words I put up here are distant, remote, unengaged, and indifferent. Some people have the conception that God's just sitting up in heaven just watching things. He is actively, throughout the scriptures, trying to intervene and come into human affairs to bless us. He's directing us towards him. So, first, reconciliation in that simply means the restoration of friendly relations. And we'll use that word a few times in here. But it's good that we have that word in our heads. Reconciliation is the restoration of friendly relations. So first of all, relational verses. God states his desire for friendship with us. This first one is one that stirred my heart a long time ago. Because as a new Christian, I came across this. And it blessed me. And I realized that the God of the Old Testament isn't different from the God of the new. And that was really big to me because I thought there was like a little bit of a change and you know, like he got nicer or something. But his heart has always been to be a father to us. Did you know that from the very beginning? He wanted to be a father to us. And if you read Jeremiah 3.19, Jeremiah is speaking out all the sins that the people of Israel have done, how they've turned their back on him, how they've been adulterous. And then, in the middle of it, he says, I, I wish I didn't have to do this. And in Jeremiah 3.19, it says, I myself said, and this is God speaking, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. And this is what really caught me. This is God speaking. I thought... You would call me father. It would not turn away from following me. Here in the midst of this confusing, confusing season in the history of Israel, 
God says, I thought you'd call me father. Like you can almost hear the pain of it. Like, I thought you'd call me father. That's what I've desired. That's what I want. I want to know you closely. I don't want you to be far away and distant. I want to know you. The same message shows up in Jesus' teachings in the New Testament. In John 10, 14 through 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus wants the same relationship with us that he has with the Father. He wants that communion with us, that closeness. This is not a distant relationship. This is close he's asking for. Then John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So God isn't just even interested in the level of friendship from a father to a, to a, to a um, son or daughter. He's looking even for friendship here. He's speaking deep friendship. Now, God doesn't just say words. He backs it up with his actions. In fact, that's the beauty of the Old Testament. Some people say, oh, I don't have to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives such substance to what Jesus says in the New Testament. If you want to know what God's speaking about love or friendship or fatherhood, you can look to the Old Testament to give context to what he's speaking about. When Jesus calls us the priesthood, a priesthood to God, all we have to do is look back to the Old Testament and say, what was a priesthood then? What does it mean to us now? The Old Testament is rich with truth for us. So his actions in the Old Testament. In Genesis 2.18, we see the beautiful verse that says, that it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, a helper suitable for him. So God, in his interactions with man, and looking on the circumstance, says, he needs something. Do you notice here that Adam never asked for anything? God, in his relationship with Adam, could see that something was missing. And he took on the initiative to bless him, to bless him and to look out for his best interest. Even in the very first chapters of Genesis, we see a God who's concerned with his creation, loves them and even knows their heart and what's best for them, and then wants to provide for them. Further along in Genesis 3, 8, after Adam and Eve sinned and ate the fruit, we know, it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God when he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Once again, here's the God who knew their needs, created this beautiful place, wanted the best for them. And he's coming in the cool of the day to have conversation with them. That's what this is implying, that he wants to be with them. He didn't just make heaven and stay up there. He's come down in some form. It doesn't tell us exactly what, but he's come to commune with his people. God is relational, not just in words, but in actions. We see this going 
further and further because God is showing throughout the Old and New Testament that he wants to know his people. And we see in the story of Abraham that God comes down in chapter 15 and has a conversation, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Abraham. It's rather interesting. It says in 15 verses, starting at verse 1, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. Note this. Abraham was probably very happy that God would come and speak to him. But he's not afraid to have a conversation with God. And at some point within the relationship, he knew God can handle discussion. He wants to communicate with me. And so Abraham talks to him. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham goes on. You have given me no children, so my servant in my household will be my heir. Is God offended? Does God run out the door? How dare you talk to me? No. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And then this is beautiful. I mean, you get the imagery here. You've got to see what he's doing. In this vision, he takes him outside. He walks Abraham outside the tent. He brings him out. And he says, look at the sky. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. He said to him, so shall your offspring be. And then this beautiful verse, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. The New Testament, that verse is key in the New Testament. But it's also key because it shows us that real faith comes from our relationship with God. He's had a conversation with him. He spent time with him. He was willing to ask a question. He honored him by saying, Lord God. I mean, he, he didn't uh, complain. He's not a complaining tone here, but it's an honoring tone. But in this communication, God's taken him out to see the stars. I believe. I don't understand everything. Abraham didn't understand how everything was going to happen. He didn't have every question answered, but he'd spent time with God enough to say, I believe. Faith comes from relationship. Now, verse 18 is key in the reading of this because it, that whole section from, chapter, from verse 6 to 18, God begins to cut covenant with Abraham. And now, this is something we can overlook because we don't cut covenant in, in our world today. Some parts of the world still have covenant. But back in the day, covenant was how tribes would come together and it was a basis for the formation of nations. Two tribes would come together of equal strength and say, I'll watch your back, you watch mine. They would negotiate it sometimes for up to three years. They'd negotiate the terms and what it meant. But if one tribal leader went into another tribal leader's house, he could sit in that person's chair that nobody else could sit in. There was this exchange of relationship. 
If there was a battle, one party would watch the other with their life. They would exchange this. But it also has a relational aspect to it. A, a preacher from, uh, from Uganda told me that covenant was so personal that if you were out and say you were even at a pub and you had the very best banana beer you ever had. I've never had banana beer. I don't even know what it's like. But I was surprised to find out it even existed. But he said, if you have the very best banana beer of your life, you would leave that at the bar and go find your covenant partner and share it with him because you share the best. So covenant was important. It was the key relationship in that society for building nations and being protected. And so here, Abraham, the obviously weaker partner, has God Almighty come to him and say, your offspring are going to be as many as the stars I'm showing you. And he says, I'm going to cut covenant with you. Wait a minute. Covenant is between two fairly similar partners of equal strength. God Almighty, with all his strength and power, saying, I want to do life with you. I want to watch your back. I want to know you. And forgive me for the vernacular in here. I want to share banana beers with you, okay? I want to share life with you. I want to share the best with you. Covenant is important. And here's God coming to Abraham, beginning to establish his name in the earth so people know who he is, and he does covenant with him. This speaks of God wanting relationship with you. He wants to know you. have a little bit of time here. I want to jump to this bit here in Ezekiel, though, because God is relational, is throughout the scriptures. And when you begin to realize God is treating people kindly, he's doing well, it begins to touch your heart and you begin to see what the Father is like. And even in a book as difficult as Ezekiel, which is a book that I used to avoid early on in my faith, because it's a hard book. It says some hard things in it. But you could almost weep over chapter 8. Once again, in context, the people of Israel have wickedly sinned. They brought idols and set them up in the temple that God put on earth for all mankind to come and worship at, for particularly the Jews. But they put false idols in there. The priesthood was worshiping other gods on the outside wall. All this wicked stuff was going on. They were literally worshiping other gods. And maybe we can't take this in to the depth of it, but it's almost like if your spouse one day brought home a picture of another person and hung it in your house, but then they decided, no, I want this in the bedroom. How would you feel? The people of Israel are bringing false gods into his house. And he's offended. God is offended. However, Ezekiel has already been removed from Israel. And he's in Babylon. They're already in captivity because the punishment's already begun. And there's Ezekiel who's a mouthpiece for God for all the righteous people that are left in Babylon. And you get from this chapter... That God is saying, I know what you've been through. I know this has been difficult so far. But the worst is yet to come. Not only are you going to be removed from Israel in further destruction, 
But even the temple will be destroyed now. Even the temple, the thing many of you hang your hopes on, is going to be gone. And you'll have no place to worship. There'll be really no place to go back to. It's going to be gone. And so what does God do to Ezekiel to help him with this process? God is helping him walk through this here. In chapter 8, this is the compassion and mercy of God because he loves the righteous and he wants to help them through. This is a God who takes notice of our needs and acts before we even know we need it. I can't read through it all, but if you're curious, if this has gripped you in any way, read Ezekiel 8 today. Ezekiel 8, 1, I'll start at, it says, In the sixth year, in the sixth month of the fifth day, while I was sitting in my house, the elders of Judah were sitting before me, and the hand of the sovereign Lord came on me there. I looked and saw a figure like that of a man. From what appeared to be his ways down, he was like fire. And from, from there up, his appearance was bright like glowing metal. He stretched out what looked like a hand, and he took me by the hair of my head. That's interesting, huh? Didn't know that was in there, huh? The Spirit lifted me up between the earth and heaven in visions of God, and he took me to Jerusalem. So he's in Babylon. God takes him to Jerusalem, and he begins to show him what's happening in the temple. And what's fascinating here is God just doesn't say bad things are happening. He gives them the names of the people doing them. He tells them exactly what they're doing in precise detail. In verse 6, I'll move quickly. And it says, God said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things that the Israelites are doing here. Things that will drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see things that are even more detestable. So he's taken them to the north gate. In the middle of the north gate, an idol is already set up. And then he says, I've got to show you more. And it goes down and he talks about more things that happened where he claws through a wall and they're worshiping serpent gods literally next to the temple and the high priest is involved in this. The priest that is supposed to be honoring God. He said to me, son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? Each at a shrine of his own idol. They say the Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken his land. Once again, God takes them in verse 14 and says, do you see this, son of man? Do you see what's happening? And then in verse 17, he says again, have you seen this, son of man? Is it a trivial matter? So God, aware of how the destruction of the temple is going to take place, begins to help his people with the process of what's coming says, I'm not doing this arbitrarily. I'm not doing this lightly. I'm not doing this because I want to. Ezekiel, you have seen what they're doing. You've seen what they're doing. I've shown you exact faces and names. I've shown you I cannot bear this any longer. So all the righteous in the land who are now captive in Babylon, Ezekiel shares this. And when it happens, they're prepared better than they would have been. I'm sure it still came as a shock. But it's a picture of a God who's trying to help his people understand hardship and difficulty and why it's happening. This is a God who wants relation with his people and he cares deeply for us. He's not staying away. He's engaging in our story. 
Now, when we come to the New Testament, Jesus is all about relationship. Everything Jesus does is building relationship. He's speaking to people. He's exploring, explaining the Father to them by the way that he lives and by the way that he speaks. It, Jesus even said, everything I say and do is from the Father. He is showing all earth what the Father is like. And he's not staying remotely up in heaven. He's come to earth to be with us. So he knows what it's like to stub a toe. He knows what it's like to have to clean house. He knows what it's like with all the chores and difficulties of earth. He's come to be amongst us and he knows it. That's the message of Jesus. God is relation and he wants to bring you to him. Every single one of us can benefit from taking a step closer to Jesus. Every single one of us can respond in our hearts to him, even with just a faith that's saying, God, you're relational. I don't understand it all. Just like Abraham didn't understand everything about how he was going to become the father of nations. We can say, God, I believe you're relational. More than I even have seen before, your word is clear. You are a God who intimately is looking to help me. You're looking to be a part of my life. The problem is this. Sin. Sin came in the way to separate us from God. And Jesus even took care of that. He so desperately wants relationship with us. He took all our sins upon the cross so that we could have relationship with God again. Not just get to heaven. Not just get to heaven, but to know God. Even John 17, 3 says, what is eternal life? He gives a definition that many of you probably don't have on your list of definitions for eternal life. You might think, living forever. Getting to splash in the, in, the, in the river of life up in heaven. Maybe dancing with some angels. I don't know. Eternal life, he says, is this. To know the Father and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. That is eternal life. To know him. That is the beginning and the heart of it all. To know God. I'm going to end here. 2 Corinthians underscores this whole idea that God is relational. He does not want to say distant, removed, far away, or seem indifferent. 2 Corinthians 5.18 starts with this. All these things are from God who brought us back to himself through what Jesus did. And God has given to you and me the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. Remember, reconciled means the restoration of friendly relations. For God in, was in Christ restoring the world to himself, no longer counting men's sins against them, but blotting them out. This is the wonderful message that has been given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We beg you, therefore, through Christ himself... Uh, as though Christ himself were pleading with you. Receive the love he offers. Be reconciled to God. Today I've covered that God speaks relationally. His words are relation. He acts relationally. And he desires desperately for relationship. He's done it demonstrating it through fatherhood, through friendship, through covenant. And as I said before, in the end of the book, 
he describes the church as coming to him as a bride. He wants to know us. He wouldn't have picture, he wouldn't have taken this imagery of father and bride if he didn't mean it. Now today, just like Abraham, we don't have to understand everything. We don't have to make sense of everything in the past. We can simply say, Father, you've promised me life. You've made a promise to me that if I ask for the forgiveness of my sins, you'll do it. And you will give me eternal life and enter into relationship with him. That's as simple as it is. We don't have to understand everything. Abraham certainly didn't. His 90-year-old body didn't have what it took to make a baby, but God did it. In that same simple faith today, we can enter into relation with him or go deeper in our relationship. Please pray with me. It's a very simple prayer. God, I have sinned. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus' death on the cross has paid for those sins. I want to walk through life with you. I do not want to remain distant in any way. Help me to be your follower and friend. Father God, we thank you. I thank you for how you have revealed yourself through your word. Your word is living and active, and you speak to how close you want to be with us. God, by the power over your Holy Spirit, minister to hearts that are reaching out to you now. God, we lift up all those who are reaching out to you, who don't want any distance in their hearts from you, God. We cry out, God, for closeness. We cry out for nearness. God, we cry out for a revelation of your Holy Spirit in their hearts and in their minds. God, that you would meet them even tonight as they lay their head on their pillows, God. Even today as they go about their stuff. God, come to them as a father. Come to them as a friend. Come to them as one who wants to know them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.